Now, I became a Christian in 1985, 86, and heard the gospel preached to me on the street at a March for Jesus. I became so attracted to the March for Jesus movement um, that I collected the music that was written for these kinds of events. Like CDs were put together by Maranatha uh, Praise Band and by Together for the Gospel, in which these public marches for Jesus were sent out, you know, into major cities across America. Well, if you go to those albums now, you listen listen to them on Spotify, both of the March for Jesus albums have a place in them where the creed, the Apostles' Creed, is spoken in the gathering, and they leave out any mention of the church whatsoever. Welcome to another American-made episode of On the Journey with Matt and Ken and Kenny. We are all with the Coming Home Network, which is an apostolate dedicated to helping people with questions about the Catholic faith and dedicated to helping accompany them on their way into the church. Uh, that's certainly the experience of all three of us. Ken and Kenny were both uh, evangelical pastors. I myself was an evangelical once. Uh, and here we all are in the Catholic Church. Visit us at chnetwork.org if you'd like to uh, know more about how that all works, if you'd like to see previous episodes in this series that we've been doing on the church as well. And uh, please do uh, remember that this is all made possible through our gener generous partners in mission. And if you want to join them by making a gift to support our work, please visit us at chnetwork.org slash donate. Ken, Kenny, how are you today? Doing I'm good. Feeling I'm feeling American made today, man. <laughs> yeah, America. good to be here. There you yep. go. I was just trying to think. So, <laughs> I was just thinking. Uh, I, I'm you know, I've got a tele, I've got a Telecaster guitar, Fender Telecaster. It is solidly American made. American made. I have so a I Mexican like Tele. I had one of those at one point. Those are pretty cool. Yeah, pretty cool. They make them. They make them in different places. They do indeed. But we Less only make expensive. this particular show within the confines of Virginia, California, and Maryland. So. That's right. We still happen to be part of the same thing, even though we're scattered abroad, uh, which brings up an interesting, an interesting dynamic in regard to what we're going to be talking about today. So if you've been following doing. along, <laughs> if you've been following along, you'll note that we have been talking about the four marks of the church. Like in Catholicism, we call them the four marks. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. This is something we say in the Nicene Creed. Uh, it also is a term that some of you who pray the Apostles' Creed are familiar with because you say you believe in the Holy Catholic Church uh, in the Apostles' Creed, which means that if it's in these creeds that are as ancient as can be <laughs> and go back all the way to the beginning and also give us lots of information about other things like the divinity of Jesus and so on and so forth, this is like an article of faith. This is a serious matter to believe that the church is Catholic. It means it's also dogmatic. Uh, and so when we look at this word, we can't just be like, well, I accept this and that and the other thing about what Christianity has to say, but we're just going to push the, this one off to the side and not deal with it. You kind of have to deal with the term Catholic <laughs> as applied to the church. So Ken, where do we start with it? Well, I start by saying, well said, Matt, well said. Okay. Yes. We've been talking about the four marks of the church. We've come to the third mark, Catholic. Church is one, holy, Catholic, and apostolic. And that's what we're going to dig into today. The section of the catechism that talks about that third mark of the church, the church is Catholic. Okay, in order to get at the Catholic understanding of the word Catholic, what we're going to do here today are, are four things, and I will summarize briefly. First, we're going to look at what the catechism says about the basic meaning of the word Catholic. Second, we're going to look at how Protestants normally, I'd say typically, understand the word Catholic, and therefore how we understood the word Catholic when we were evangelical Protestants ourselves. Third, we're going to look at examples of how the word Catholic is used in the earliest centuries of Christian history, and we're going to perform a fun and interesting thought experiment, which we will describe 
when we get to it. And then finally, I'm going to read out just the final paragraphs in this section of the Catechism that fill out really what it means to say that the church is Catholic. Okay, so let's begin with movement number one. This is where this section of the Catechism begins by defining the word Catholic. In paragraph 830, this is what we read. The word Catholic means, so we're just going for a definition here. The word Catholic means universal in the sense of according to the totality or in keeping with the whole. The church is Catholic in a double sense. First, the church is Catholic because Christ is present in her, which sounds kind of awkward, but but it, it the catechism fills it out a bit more here. Then it, it goes on to quote from St. Ignatius of Antioch, where there is Christ Jesus, there is the Catholic Church. In her, that is in the Catholic Church, subsists the fullness of Christ's body united with its head. This implies that she receives from him, the head, I'm quoting again now, the fullness of the means of salvation, which he has willed, correct, complete, a, a correct and complete confession of faith, full sacramental life, and ordained ministry in apostolic succession. The church was, in this fundamental sense, Catholic on the day of Pentecost, and will always be so until the day of the parousia. Okay, so there's a lot crammed in here already, but I want to just hit at the essence. The church, then, is Catholic, the Catechism says. First of all, because Christ is present in her, and she is the fullness of Christ's body united with her head. And in the Catechism's point of view, that is in the Catholic Church's point of view, this includes a correct and complete confession of faith, a full sacramental life, and ordained ministry in apostolic succession. Okay? So you can see we're already going far beyond the basic definitional idea that Catholic simply means universal. Paragraph 831 goes on. Secondly, the church is Catholic because she has been sent out by Christ on a mission to the whole of the human race. So Christ is the head. I'm trying to put this together. The church is Christ's body, the fullness of him who fills all in all, receiving from Christ everything that she is. This includes a full confession of faith. It includes all of the sacraments, a full life of sacrament, a full sacramental life. And it includes a leadership um, that is ordained leadership in succession to the apostles. And, and the church is Catholic also in the sense that it reaches out. It has a mission to the whole human race. And now I'm reading again from the catechism. All men are called to belong to the new people of God. This people, therefore, while remaining one and only one, is to be spread throughout the whole world and to all ages in order that the design of God may be fulfilled. He, that is God, made human nature one in the beginning and has decreed that all his children who were scattered should be finally gathered together as one. The character of universality which adorns the people of God is a gift from the Lord himself, whereby the Catholic Church ceaselessly, ceaselessly and efficaciously seeks for the return of all humanity and all its goods under Christ the head in the unity of the Spirit. Of, of the Spirit. I, I love how rich the Catechism is, but in a way, you guys, I hate reading the Catechism and trying to teach from it, but it's precisely because it's so rich, because it can take you off on so many tangents, but, but I wanted to stick with the essence of what's being said here. This is the essence, then, of what the Catholic Church means by the word Catholic. And some of us, that is the part about the church being universal, some of this I would have said when I was a Baptist pastor. I essentially took the word Catholic to mean everyone that belongs to the church, everyone that belongs to Christ's body. So I would have fully accepted that part of it. Now, this bit about a full confession of faith and full sacramental life and leadership in apostolic succession, that part I would not have um, accepted, but I would have accepted so much of it, this part of it. And this is how most Protestants take the word. It just means 
all Christians, I think, to most. Um, would you gentlemen agree with this so far? Uh, you know what? <laughs> so what, you're you're making a a presumption that we would have used the word. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Which is funny Good point. to hear you talk about this because uh I mean I think in retrospect, I probably, if I looked hard enough, I would find people who would, if you pressed them on this question, they'd say that this is it's kind of the idea, but we just didn't, I don't remember the word yeah. coming up, <laughs> you know, it just was not a word that we used. It was not part of our theological well, I, vocabulary. I, I guess you're right. It's just when you quoted one of the catechism, I mean, when you quoted one of the creeds, I guess the word appeared, but anyway, Kenny's going to talk you, about that. You also yeah, are you're presuming right. you're right. that I went to churches that quoted the creeds, <laughs> which most of the time I also didn't do that either, which well, is, you're down which Kentucky, is wild you? to me in retrospect. I can't believe we didn't do a creed in like every single church service. It's crazy to me. And yet well, you we didn't, didn't say the creed, but instead you had snakes, right? Down in I wasn't in that part of Kentucky. I was in a <laughs> okay. part of Kentucky, but not that part. Well, this okay. is this is actually a good a good place to go back in time a little bit, guys. And I, I think we'll have some reflections maybe after this little section here, because what okay. I want to do is I want. Well, first of all, I want to say, yes, Ken, I would not have said more than you said basically in the first paragraph. It's just all Christians everywhere. I wouldn't have wanted yeah. to say more than that if I had used the word Catholic um, as a self-referential term. And I think that that is common among evangelical Protestants. And I think that we can show that to be true by quoting from some people who would be familiar to most present-day uh, American evangelicals and even a source that um, would be frequently used, especially by those who... Uh, play around in theological things. So I want to read from three sources that I think capture the idea that we probably all held, and that's really reflected in that first paragraph. Um, and I'll just quote them now, and then we can, we can talk about them a little bit. The first is um, an article from the Evangelical Dictionary of Theology. So we want to use the terminology and the definitions that evangelicals would accept for themselves. And in that book, um, the author E.F. Harrison writes the article on the word Catholic, and he discusses the word, the use of the word Catholic in five different ways. Let me summarize those five ways right now. First, he says, according, according to Harrison, the word Catholic is used in the earlier patristic period to denote concept of universality, especially during that first period, that it's the unity of the whole church, despite what he calls its wide diffusion. In other words, it's all over the place, but it's one church. He says that's the first meaning of it. Second, he says, after the emergence of widespread heresy in the church, the term Catholic takes on the meaning of the word orthodox. And Harrison says that those two become functionally synonymous, so that when you say Catholic, what you really mean is orthodox. Third, though, he says, uh, during the Reformation, the word Catholic was primarily retained by Christians who wanted to affirm their continued solidarity with the Bishop of Rome, otherwise known as the Pope. Everybody else got rid of that self-referential word, but those who remained in solidarity with the Pope wanted to keep it. And, um, and so I, I will say here as a point of historical reflection that from the Protestant side, that's also when the word Roman crept into popular use by non-Catholics. Uh, Protestants would say, you mean Roman Catholic, don't you? And of course, we would we could do a whole episode on why we don't use that term for ourselves as Catholics. That's something that's said about us, not by us primarily. Um, because Protestants who wanted to keep the word Catholic didn't want to remain in communion with the Pope, so they added the word Roman to the front of that. The fourth way that it came to be used, according to Harrison, is in modern times as an individual self-referential term 
used colloquially by Christians who have remained in communion with the Pope. So now uh, Roman Catholics or Catholics in the communion in communion with the with the Church would say, "Well, I'm Catholic." Most other Christians don't use the word anymore. Uh, and then fifth and finally, and this is the part the uh, the aspect of the word that Harrison doesn't like. He says the word is sometimes employed to indicate a breadth of spirit or outlook in contrast to that which is regarded as rigidly narrow. Yeah, yeah, you're uh, a very Catholic person, yes. you know, you're you're, yes. you're just open-minded and welcoming. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and yeah. and he ends by saying this is a quote from Harrison. This vague use of the word at times quite latitudinarian, uh, which means used in every way you can imagine, is completely different from the ancient significance where universality was coupled with precision of Christian belief. In other words, we've gotten further and further and further away from what it really meant in the earliest usage. Now, before I read the next two sources, I I just want to say right here that we can detect in Harrison a bit of a Protestant reflex here in the sense that he's saying, well, it used to be used this way, then later it came to be used this way, and then it was used this way. And and so then you have almost a dissecting of usage and a separation of usage as detached from how it was used in earlier times. I was about to say, the, there's, you're, you're saying, you're leaving out two words. It was used these four ways by whom? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And, and, so, and so what I would say as a Catholic is, yes, of course it was used that way initially, and it still is by Catholics. It mm-hmm. doesn't mean less than it did initially. It actually means more and all that it ever meant. So Catholics have retained all of the appropriate meanings of the word. Yeah, Catholic. yeah. We and it, uh, so sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. So we don't we don't okay. see it as you know the semantic range of the word ends you know in a specific period of time. Rather, we carry the meaning with us, and it has a more robust and full meaning. So we accept all of these four ideas about of the five about what Catholic means. But what were you going to say there, well, Ken? And then I'll read. Yeah, I, I was just going to say that in a sense, I can accept his historical, you know, sure. review review of, of how the word Catholic was used and how it's come to be used, except look at the very first one and compare it with what I read in the catechism already. In the earlier patristic period, it had the denotation of universal especially during the period the period during this especially and especially during this period refers to the unity of the church in spite of its wide diffusion so right. he wants to import a, an essentially protestant view into the early church and say that all it meant at that point was universal whereas i would say and we're going to find out pretty pretty soon but i would say that there was a lot more involved from the beginning and we're going to see right. that soon Right, right. Yeah. Well, in order to kind of get to where Joe Protestant or Joe Evangelical lands today, uh, and, and just kind of how this term would be used if you found somebody on the street who was willing to use it for himself, I'll just read two more quotes. One is by John MacArthur. Um, most Protestant evangelicals would know this name. Very popular evangelical Protestant Calvinist and, I'll say, anti-Catholic uh, in his perspective. Well, in his blog article on his website, uh, grace to you, gty.org, he has a article referencing the Apostles' Creed, and he says this about the phrase, Holy Catholic Church, contained in the Apostles' Creed. Quote, <laughs> you can almost hear him spit this first part of the sentence out. Quote, those who follow the Pope dogmatically <laughs> interpret that as a reference to the Roman Catholic Church. Second part of the sentence says this. Protestants interpret Catholic in accord with its literal meaning, universal. And I'll just say right there, as though that only had you know one narrow meaning, as though universal had one narrow meaning. <laughs> However, then I'll read from Lorraine Bettner, um, who probably greatly informs MacArthur's perspective about um, Catholicism. 
Uh, Lorraine Bettner, in his polemical book, that means his book against Catholics, titled Roman Catholicism, wants to tackle the use and definition of the word Catholic. And so he writes this, quote, since the word Catholic means universal, the true Christian Catholic Church must include all true believers, all who belong to the mystical or spiritual body of Christ. Now we're getting somewhere. From my own experience, guys, this is the most popular Protestant evangelical approach to using the word Catholic, if you're willing to use it all. Um, you, you're basically saying it just means everyone who believes in Jesus. And I'm, I'm going to toss it to Matt here because I think you, you've you seen some of this maybe in your, your own experience, um, if the word was ever used at all. Uh, let, let's okay. call it this least common denominator ecclesiology. <laughs> so, Ken, you became a uh, Christian in what decade? The um, 1980s, 1970s. 1970s. 70s. Kenny, were you in the 80s? Yeah, 19, 1985, 86, okay. right there. So I became Christian in the 90s. So in the course of those years, uh, you know, the evangelical world kind of developed its own sort of like consumer vibe and language <laughs> and like really industrialized itself in the currency of what makes people Christians. And that currency usually meant, do you stick to the scriptures? Do you have a personal relationship with God? And so like, I didn't grow up with creeds like at all. So to, to have to come to terms with this word is, it, it, well, I would hear it, but I would never not hear it with any kind of meaning attached to it. Now, just briefly to, to talk about that fourth point about Catholic meaning, just something sort of broad. I did hear people sometimes from about college, uh, and this was actually this would have been the the late 90s, early 2000s. I would hear some people use the word Catholic on themselves as a way to say, as a reaction against the term non-denominational, as a way of saying, I too transcend denominations, but I transcend them so much, I don't even want to use the word denomination in describing the kind of universal Christian. I, so like, <laughs> so there was that. But I think back to... Um, to a few different cases where I've gone back since I've become Catholic to visit Protestant churches and I've heard the creed used. And I didn't notice it when I was a kid because I don't think I even noticed the creed if it even happened. But I've noticed that in a few different places there was an asterisk and the word in the Apostles' Creed that says one holy Catholic church was subbed out. It was usually subbed out for one or two words, one holy Christian church or one holy universal church. Right. Now, I did also go back, and this is why the word Catholic, like it wouldn't, even if I had heard the creeds, it wouldn't have, wouldn't have registered with me. Um, but I go back and look back two popular songs from the era when I was a kid. One would be from Petra's Beyond Belief album in 1990, the song titled Creed. And it is very loosely based on John Schlitt and Bob Hartman's songwriting. It has some creedal notes to it. Uh, it does not mention anything about the church at all. It, it It's all Trinitarian and like, here's how the end of the world's going to go down. The other one, which came out two years later, which more people may be familiar with, is Rich Mullins' song, Creed, from his 1992 album, A Liturgy, A Legacy, and a Ragamuffin Band. Bear in mind, I attached no meaning to the word liturgy when that album came out. <laughs> uh, but in the lyrics to that song, he right as he's driving everything home, he goes through the last sort of lines of the Apostles' Creed. And here's what Rich writes. Uh, I believe in the Holy Spirit, one holy church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins. He doesn't even put the word in there, right? And I think Rich, who had been hanging out with some Catholics at the time, <laughs> right, knew that would be a loaded thing for him to put in that song, given his situation. So, I mean, these are, I, I can't, I can't speak to the whole range of, of how I understood. It. I can just see that I only saw the round, the edges of it. I didn't have like a, I wasn't formed on the word, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. And I think no, there are reasons when, for that. 
When you talk about songs, Matt, this is something you and I have in common. I think we, we as evangelicals, we tend to learn our faith through the things we sing and don't sing. And uh, we, we talk about this kind of um, amnesia. Uh, in, in some ways, it's this amnesia that we suffer from, especially this ecclesial amnesia about Catholic ecclesiology, is written into or written out of the songs that we think, sing. Now, I became a Christian in 1985-86 and heard the gospel preached to me on the street at a March for Jesus. I became so attracted to the March for Jesus movement um, that I collected the music that was written for these kinds of events. Like CDs were put together by Maranatha uh, Praise Band and by Together for the Gospel in which these public marches for Jesus were sent out, you know, into major cities across America. Well, if you go to those albums now, you listen listen to them on Spotify, both of the March for Jesus albums have a place in them where the creed, the Apostles' Creed, is spoken in the gathering, and they leave out any mention of the church whatsoever. Um they, they'll say things about Mary being a virgin and about Jesus being the same, you know, of the same substance as God, but there is no reference whatsoever to the church. And so if you didn't know any better, you would think that the church isn't even referenced in the creeds. And then another song that I heard a lot was in the Maranatha uh, praise band, I, the creed, I believe. And the lyric says about the church, I believe he's in the church to lead us on the way. Well, that's an ecclesiology that was never heard in any ancient creed of Christianity. So now we're just sort of importing words that weren't in the creed and leaving out words that were. And this is what happens in Protestant evangelical ecclesiology so that you'd get to the point where MacArthur and Lorraine Bettner and even the author of this article in the Evangelical Dictionary basically want you to think that Catholic just means it's everybody who believes in Jesus no matter what, and and that's really all there is to the word Catholic. If you want to use yeah. it, you can. Or, or like Lorraine Bettner said, everyone that is, I mean, all who are members of the spiritual body of Christ, everyone who believes in Jesus. By the way, you know, a song that I listened to a lot when I was very young was a song by the monkeys called I'm a Believer. And I'm wondering, do you think they were referring to the creed when they said, I'm a believer, I wouldn't leave her, meaning the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. <laughs> I couldn't leave her if I tried. Hmm. I, maybe that's what Mickey Dolans was <laughs> singing about when I, when, no, okay. Not, okay, guys. Not. Okay. At this point, how about we perform a little thought experiment? That's my. Let's do it. This is what I. This is what I suggest. Okay, since our non-Catholic brothers and sisters typically understand the meaning of Catholic as everyone who believes in Jesus, everyone who is a member of the spiritual body of Christ, taking the word universal and sticking with it pretty much. Okay, what if we look at some of the early church fathers who use the word Catholic and the phrase Catholic Church? And whenever we read the word Catholic in what they say, let's try swapping it out with um, everyone who believes in Jesus, and let's see how that works out, okay? okay. Because I, I'm thinking of Everett Harrison here, E.F. Harrison, the first quotation, Kenny, that you read. By the way, he, he brings back memories for me. I hadn't thought of his name in a long time, but when I first came to Fuller Theological Seminary, he uh, was he was retired at the time, but he came and taught a course on the Gospel of John, and that was the first course I took was from Everett Harrison on the Gospel of John. But Harrison, in his first, when he went back to the beginning, he said in the patristic yes. period, I'm just paraphrasing, it just means universal, that even though the church was dispersed broadly, it referred to everyone. And he kind of wants to say that's all it meant at that point. Okay, well, let's go back early and let's see. For example, consider a quotation from St. Ignatius of Antioch. Um, we've already made reference to this quotation, but we're going to read a bit more of it now. The first time the word Catholic appears in the earliest post-apostolic writings is in St. Ignatius of Antioch's letter to the church in Smyrna, 
which is dated around AD 110, sometimes 107, sometimes as late as 117. Now, St. Ignatius is believed to have been a disciple of the Apostle John, along with Polycarp. So, this is the first time the word Catholic appears, and this is where he writes, and this is what we quoted previously, where there is Jesus, where there is Christ Jesus, there is the Catholic Church. Okay, now, what would happen if we swap this out with everyone who believes in Jesus? Let's read it again. Where there is Christ Jesus, there is everyone who believes in Jesus. Okay, now, it sounds kind of weird, but it, but it can work. It might work, but, but here's, the, here's the hitch. It might work as long as we don't know that this is only a snippet of what Ignatius says in this passage. Here's what he says in context. I'm quoting now. Let no one do anything of concern to the church without the bishop. <laughs> Let that be considered a valid Eucharist, which is celebrated by the bishop or by one whom he ordains. In other words, one of the presbyters, one of the priests. And then quoting again, wherever the bishop appears, let the people of God be there, just as wherever Jesus Christ is, there is the Catholic Church. Okay, so here's the earliest again, the earliest use of the word Catholic in all of the post-apostolic writings, the, the earliest writings after the death of the apostles. It's in a letter written by a man we believe to have been a disciple of John himself. It's written by a man, St. Ignatius, the Bishop of Antioch, who is also a martyr. In fact, as he writes this letter, he's on his way to Rome to be, to be eaten by wild beasts in the Colosseum. And notice what is present in this community of everyone who believes in Jesus, okay? <laughs> it, 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 it's not just everyone who believes in Jesus. There are bishops in this community. There is what he refers to as a valid Eucharist, one that is celebrated by the bishop or by someone ordained by the bishop. Only that is a valid Eucharist. There are priests ordained by the bishop. And then there is the people of God gathered around the bishop. This, gentlemen, this is the first appearance of the word Catholic. And even here, it does not seem to mean merely everyone who believes in Jesus. And so already I have to say that Everett Harrison is already playing with history a little bit when he tries to say that when we look at the patristic era, what we really have is simply the word universal, meaning broadly dispersed. Comment? Yeah, I, I just want to make sure to, to put in like a little like other thought experiment when you hear something like, well, Ignatius wrote this in 110 AD, but we don't have anything before that. Well, that would be an argument against this if you assumed that the that all the bishops and priests he'd been talking about had only been ordained since like 109 AD. Yeah, like, no, right. no. like clearly this yeah. is something that has right. been going on. This mm -hmm. has been Ignatius's Christian experience for some time, and he is doing something to remind people of it. So he's not talking about something that he thinks that we yes. should start doing. <laughs> he's talking about this is who we are. He's describing I, the church as he was taught as it, it is, as he received yes. it, as it is, as he understands it. What's that, Kenny? Yeah, I, I agree with you guys there. I, I think, you know, both of the things that we read so far, the first paragraph of the catechism and then Harrison's first reference to the use of Catholic in antiquity, they both include the same snippet, right? Uh, wherever mm -hmm. Jesus Christ is, there is a Catholic church. What I want to say in agreement with what you've presented so far, Ken, is that in the catechism, we're dragging forward, if you will, all of the other ecclesial realities that are in Ignatius's writing about the Catholic church there. And what Harrison is doing is cutting them off and leaving them out. There's a difference. So, well, you both used that little phrase. Yes, but ours is heavy laden with the ecclesiology yeah, yeah. of Ignatius. It's not missing his ecclesiology and proof texting mm -hmm. the, the early father to make him say something that he never would have meant. 
Okay, let me read one more passage in before I pass it over to you again, Kenny. This is from a letter written by St. Cyprian, the Bishop of Carthage in North Africa, and now it's around the year 250 AD. Listen to what he has to say. Quoting, you ought to know then that the bishop is in the church and the church is in the bishops. And if someone is not with the bishop, he is not in the church. They vainly flatter themselves who creep up, not having peace with the priest of God, believing that they are secretly in communion with certain individuals. For the church, which is one and Catholic, there's that word, is not split or divided, but is indeed united and joined by the cement of priests who adhere to one another. Again, we've got bishops, we've got priests. Now, so uh, just briefly, a no notice that according to Cyprian, you cannot be one with the Catholic Church if you separate yourself from the bishop and from all the all the bishops and the priests who are united with one another. Now, this doesn't, again, this passage in Cyprian doesn't make any sense at all if we try to swap out the word Catholic with everyone who believes in Jesus. After all, there are there were vast numbers of those who believed in Jesus at the time who did, I'm referring to the heretics, who did not have bishops. And there are vast numbers of those who believe in Jesus now who don't even have bishops. For instance, the Baptist church that I was the pastor of. Mm -hmm. Comment? Okay, go ahead. Just just one, one other quick one, because you may see another fudge word, and I've heard this one before as well, uh, where at the end of this passage from Clement, he says, um, the church which is one and Catholic is not split or divided, but is indeed united and joined by the cement of priests who adhere to one another, just as someone might swap out that word Catholic for just like all who believe in Jesus. I have seen the um, the maneuver to try and sub out the word priests for uh, spiritual authorities. And make no mistake, like priests here has a specific meaning and the, 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 yep. the office of the priest involves the Eucharist, which is what St. Ignatius was talking about previously. Like that's, that's, this is what communion is and communion does. Mm-hmm communion with Christ in the universal church through the hands of the ordained priest who was ordained by his bishop and mm -hmm. so on and so forth back. So you can't just substitute mm -hmm. like good Christian teachers in for that word priests here, yeah. given the context of everything else that's going on. Yeah. And, and, good. and I, and I would add to that, you know, um, I, if I can talk to, if I can talk to pastor Kenny for a minute, who often joins us in these episodes, <laughs> You should have like a little sock, like when you when you bring out Pastor Kenny, old Pastor Kenny. Think of the think, just think of that last sentence in there. For the church, which is one and Catholic, is not split or divided, but is indeed united and joined by the cement of priests who adhere to one another. That's just Pastor Kenny. You know that's not possible. Pastor Kenny, you know that's not happening in your town. You know that you, Pastor Kenny, and many of the pastors in your church are divided and split from one another. You tell your congregation not to go to their churches because they don't believe what you believe. They don't think what you think. They don't confess like you confess. They don't preach what you preach. So if Catholic just means everyone who believes in Jesus— and St. Cyprian is saying that that unity, in a sense, is held together by pastoral leadership or spiritual authorities. Well, guys, the landscape out there right now uh, in, let's just say, American Protestant evangelicalism is, is like a shattered window of safety glass. It's, it's impossible to find how it can ever be fit together in this way and be unified in this way. So St. Cyprian is really, I would say he's a man for our times in terms of helping yeah. us to see how, how terrible all of this division. Yeah. Is. And notice that what he says is just so similar to what St. Ignatius said 150 mm -hmm. years previous. Mm -hmm. And it's so similar to what the Catholic, I mean, to what the catechism says in those first two paragraphs that I read. Mm -hmm. But Kenny, why don't you take it to Augustine yeah. at this point yeah. and let's hear a little bit more. Yeah, Augustine is a good guy to go to, uh, you know, especially <clears throat> among those uh, in the ranks of, of um, Protestants who, like Calvin, who who would say, "Oh, I love Augustine," you know, and and even Luther, I love Augustine. Okay, 
let's talk to St. Augustine in our thought experiment. Let's pull out St. Augustine's letter against the epistle of uh, Manichaeus. Here's what he says, quote, For my part, I should not believe the gospel except as moved by the authority of the Catholic Church. Well, what if we swapped out there? (laughs) I should not believe the gospel except by the authority of everyone who believes in Jesus. it, it doesn't work, but we, but we can go deeper here in, in Augustine's letter. Because a few moments later, in the very same composition, St. Augustine refers to Catholics and the Catholic Church dozens more times. In fact, in the fourth chapter, which is entitled by Augustine, quote, Proofs for the Catholic Faith, <laughs> Proofs for the Faith of Everyone Who Believes in Jesus, he says this, quote, the succession of priests keeps me, beginning from the very seat of the apostle Peter, to whom the Lord, after his resurrection, gave it in charge to feed his sheep down to the present episcopate. And so lastly, does the name of itself, name itself of Catholic. Here, guys, Augustine himself is pressing us to go beyond the first two paragraphs of the Catechism when he embraces the ideas of, for instance, a perpetual seat of Peter and apostolic succession as what he calls marks of the Catholic Church. This is important because Harrison and MacArthur and Bettner, if they're right, and Catholic simply means everyone who believes in Jesus, Augustine would like to speak with them. He would like to say to them, it's everyone who believes in Jesus who has been taught by him and his church to embrace Peter as the rock and his successors, his successors as the popes and the authority of the bishops through apostolic succession. These things would be preached against by all of the Protestant evangelicals that I read from. And then finally, he goes on in this portion of that document to say this, quote, And so lastly does the name itself of Catholic, which, not without any reason, amid so many heresies, the church has thus retained. So that, though all heretics wish to be called Catholics, Yet when a stranger asks, now now here's Augustine's thought experiment. Yet when a stranger asks where the Catholic Church meets, no heretic will venture to point to his own chapel or house. Such then is the number and importance, such then in number and importance are the precious ties belonging to the Christian name, which keep a believer in the Catholic Church. What would happen, in other words, St. Augustine wants to know, if we swap out the word Catholic with everyone who believes in Jesus? Well, his whole apologetic for how to recognize the Catholic Church would become meaningless because he is pointing to a particular church with a particular authority and a particular ability to know and confront and correct heresy. And that's just impossible with an ecclesiology that says Catholic just means everyone who believes in Jesus. And I'll I'll say just this one last thing before I toss it to you guys. About a year and a half after I became Catholic, and I started using that word for myself, I tried St. Augustine's thought experiment on my Facebook page. I wrote on there as a post, How far from your home and what is the name of the nearest Catholic church to you? And I only (laughs) got the names of Catholic churches in, especially in the town where I pastored for, for, um, 17 of the 20 years that I was a pastor. Most of the people who I was, who I'm friends with who lived in that town put the name of the Catholic church in that town. They didn't put the name of their own church that they were going to. 
Well, look, let me um, let me just pile in a little bit more, and then we can kind of summarize this together. Let's move on to St. Vincent of Lorraine, writing around 430 AD. By the way, what I hear in Augustine, you guys, is simply what I heard in the first two paragraphs of the Catechism we read, what I heard in the, from St. Ignatius of Antioch, what, we, what I heard from Cyprian. Mm-hmm. I hear it from Augustine as well. It's a sort of all coming together. Yes. Um, but when we go to St. Vincent of Lorraine, now he's writing around 430 AD or so, um, around the time that St. Augustine went to be with the Lord. In his work titled, and I, I love this title, okay, I love this title, in his work titled, A Commonatory for the Antiquity and Universality of the Catholic Faith Against the Profane Novelties of All Heresies. <laughs> He uses the word Catholic a number of times, but just listen in to St. Vincent's thought processes. I have often then inquired earnestly and attentively of very many men eminent for sanctity and learning, how and by what sure and, so to speak, universal rule, I may be able to distinguish the truth of Catholic faith from the falsehood of heretical depravity. And I have always in almost every instance, received an answer to this effect, that whether I or anyone else should wish to detect the frauds and avoid the snares of heretics as they rise, and to continue sound and complete in the Catholic faith, we must, the Lord helping, fortify our own belief in two ways, first by the authority of the divine law, the Holy Scriptures, and then by the tradition of the Catholic Church. Now, this is another paragraph that makes absolutely no sense if we try to swap out Catholic Church with everyone who believes in Jesus or the word Catholic. But let's read on, because he says more. Here's St. Vincent again. But here someone perhaps might ask, since the canon of Scripture is complete and sufficient of itself for everything, and more than sufficient, What need is there to join with it, that is, with the Bible only, the authority of the Church's interpretation? And obviously he means the Catholic Church's interpretation. For this reason, because owing to the depth of Holy Scripture, all do not accept it in one and the same sense, but one understands its words one way, another in another way, so that it seems to be capable of as many interpretations as there are interpreters, There's your shattered glass you mentioned a few minutes ago, Kenny. For Novation expounds it one way, Sibelius another, Donatus another, Arius, Eunomius, Macedonius another, Photinus, Apollinaris, Priscillian another, Iovinian, Pelagius, Celestius another, lastly, Nestorius another. Therefore, it is very necessary on account of so great intricacies of such various error that the rule for the right understanding of the prophets and apostles should be framed in accordance with the standard of ecclesiastical and Catholic interpretation. And once again, all of this would, everything that he says here would be incoherent, really, if we tried to swap out the word Catholic wherever it occurs, with everyone who believes in Jesus or everyone who is a member of, uh, of the spiritual body of Christ. Since, since virtually every one of the heretics that he lists, and in fact, I would say all of the heretics that he lists in this paragraph were, were people who would have said they believed in Jesus. They would have said, I believe in Jesus. And they would have said, I am a member of the spiritual body of Christ. They would have said all of that. Again, the word means universal, if we want to take a definitional approach, the word Catholic means universal or as pertaining to the whole. That's what it means. But in the early history of Christianity, it clearly meant more than that. And it meant more than that from the beginning, as we've looked at Ignatius, Cyprian, Augustine, and now St. Vincent of Lorraine. In, in, In short, it would be practically impossible, I think, to implement or to act on anything written here by St. Vincent about the need to have the true teaching of the faith in conformity with Catholic tradition. It would be impossible to implement this or to act on it if we were to embrace the everyone who believes in Jesus idea of what is meant by the word 
Catholic. After all, as you said, Kenny, so well a moment ago, there are so many varying and dissonant systems of doctrine within Protestantism. In simple terms, I liked how you said it to me yesterday when we were talking, Kenny. In simple terms, everyone who believes in Jesus disagrees with everyone who believes in Jesus about what the Bible does and does not teach. This cannot be what St. Saint Vincent means when he uses the word Catholic. Here and in every passage we've looked at really so far, he can only mean, he can only be referring to a very visible and authoritative church with a body of teaching, with full sacramental life, going back to that original paragraph from the Catechism, and with leadership ordained in apostolic succession. Let's do one more. Let's do one more, and then okay. we'll, we'll, let, we'll let Matt chime in. One more uh, thought experiment quote from um, history. Let's go back about 100 years before St. Vincent to one of my favorite early uh, patristic um, writers and saints, St. Cyril, who's the bishop of Jerusalem in the middle of the fourth century, who taught catechism churches in the Church of the Holy Sepulcher. I mean, it's, it's <laughs> just, just an amazing guy. And here's what he says in his catechetical lectures that are famous. Anyone who's studied the patristics and the, these men in antiquity will know of St. Cyril's catechetical lectures. Here's what he says about the church. The church is called Catholic then because it extends over the whole world from end to end of the earth. So far, so good. And because it teaches universally and infallibly each and every doctrine which must come to the knowledge of men. Whoa. <laughs> no, no good at that point. At that point, <laughs> yeah, it goes off the rails. We're not a, allowed to use that word. Going on, though. Concerning things visible and invisible, heavenly and earthly, and because it brings every race of men into subjection to godliness, governors and governor governed, learned and unlearned, and because it universally treats and heals every class of sins. The, the church treats and heals every class of sins. Those committed with the soul and those with the body, and possesses within itself every conceivable form of virtue in deeds and in words and in the spiritual gifts of every description, close quote. Now, again, we can say this over and over again. None of the quotes that we read here today, guys, and there are lots of others, like the writings of Tertullian. If you read the canons of the councils of Nicaea, Constantinople, and Chalcedon, and all the ecclesiology in those canons, where the word Catholic is used, it only makes sense if it is in reference to a particular visible church that holds a particular creed, having particular bishops, mm -hmm. and a particular understanding of the Eucharist. And that, of mm -hmm. course, brings us to the last four paragraphs that Ken's going to read. But Matt, yeah, yeah. it's possible that you, you want to say some stuff here after our thought experiment. I got to be real careful to say anything here. Uh, first of all, because every time Ken, Ken Hensley brings, breaks out St. Vincent, I just keep on thinking about like, he's writing this like right after the canon gets established. Exactly. Like right after, right after this church whose authority he's invoking has just used its authority, its authority to tell everybody what is and is not in the New Testament. Um, right. But it strikes me yes. as you're going through that list of the heretics that St. Vincent is mentioning and the need for that visible, like it has to be a visible thing to combat stuff. Um, Francis Beckwith pointed this out uh, on it, it, something he did for us years and years ago um, uh, about how Christians take for granted uh, as given doctrinal points, things that were absolute battles in the early church. And the things that Christians mm -hmm. in the early church took absolutely for granted are battles now. Such that if you ask a Christian if Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary, suffered, died, and was buried, and rose again, and is he really God, every Christian will affirm that. The The problem with all those people that St. Vincent mentioned is they had trouble with some piece of that somewhere. 
Mm-hmm. But what they didn't have trouble with was the Eucharist. <laughs> they didn't have trouble <laughs> with the regenerative qualities of baptism and all these things. And so it's so interesting to me that what was settled by that visible church has somehow, in some crazy way, remained settled, <laughs> but wasn't debate, but wasn't debated and like hardcore defended at the time, and set out in a council is somehow ended up up for grabs, which is a fascinating thing to reflect upon. But just to me, it just shows like this could not have just been a universal kind of group of people who just said we all agree to the same sorts of things so we can all be you know we can all be pals yeah it had to have been more than that um as i think about these quotations that we've all heard here and then i go back and i think about everett harrison's first paragraph or everett harrison's the the paragraphs you read from him kenny where he wants to lay out kind of an evolutionary view of the word catholic that at the beginning it just meant universal and then it came to mean orthodox as heresies arose. And then it came to mean this. What, what I'm seeing here is that all of the meaning was there from the beginning, okay? All of the meaning. When St. Ignatius talks about the word Catholic, yeah, he means universal, but he also is talking about a church um, you know, with with a full confession of faith. He's talking about a church with full sacraments. He's talking about a church with leadership in apostolic succession. And it just goes on from there to be elaborated more and more fully. So that when the movie Creed came out a little while ago, now I thought this was going to be about uh, the Council of Nicaea, Constantinople. I thought Sylvester Stallone was going to be uh, starring as um, Athanasius, actually. And so I went to the movie theater and it wasn't. It just it had nothing to do with that. So no, in other words, I just want to steer you away. Creed has nothing to do with this. If you're interested hey, in, listen, the movie. man. What? 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 You can you what? can take me higher <laughs> to the place where angels sing. <laughs> you can take me higher. Well, Doodle I'm a believer. Okay, you are indeed. I wouldn't leave the the one, the one holy Catholic. I couldn't leave the one holy Catholic Church, even if I tried. To quote the great theologian Mickey Dolenz once again. Okay, look, let's tie this all together, you guys. I think we've heard enough in terms of the the voices um, of the church, the early church, and going up to the time of Saint Vincent. When it comes to the last paragraphs in the Catechism under this section the church is Catholic, that is defining what does it mean to say the church is Catholic. I really only need to read these paragraphs. In fact, I only want to read them because I want you I want you just to hear how they essentially reiterate everything that we've said so far and fill out what has been written from the beginning by the early church fathers, St. Ignatius, Cyprian, on and on. The focus, however, here is to explain how each particular church is Catholic. That's the particular focus. Let me read 832 through 835. The Church of Christ is really present in all legitimately organized local groups of the faithful, which, insofar as they are united to their pastors, are also quite appropriately called churches in the New Testament. In them, in them the faithful are gathered together through the preaching of the gospel of Christ, the mystery of the Lord's Supper is celebrated. In these communities, Though they may often be small and poor or existing in the diaspora, Christ is present through those through whose power and influence the one holy Catholic and apostolic church is constituted. Paragraph 833. The phrase particular church, which is first of all the diocese or eparchy, refers to a community of the Christian faithful in communion of faith and sacraments with their bishop ordained in apostolic succession. Here you go back to that theme. These particular churches are constituted after the model of the universal church. It is in these and formed out of them that the one and unique Catholic church exists. Notice just quickly, what makes any particular church Catholic, again, it isn't merely that everyone there believes in Jesus. It's about everyone being united in faith, united in the sacraments, and under the bishop of the diocese. But there's more, 834. And this comes back to some of the things that uh, 
that Kenny talked about earlier. Particular churches are fully Catholic through their communion. I should emphasize, particular churches are fully Catholic through their communion with one of them, the Church of Rome, which presides in charity. And there, that phrase, which presides in charity, he's quoting, I mean, the Catechism is quoting here from St. Irenaeus of Lyon, writing in the 180s or so in his book Against Heresies. And then it continues to quote from him. For with this church, that is the Church of Rome, by reason of its preeminence, the whole church, that is the faithful everywhere, must necessarily be in accord. And then the Catechism quotes from Maximus Confessor, and it says this, Indeed, from the incarnate Word's descent to us, all Christian churches everywhere have held and hold the great church that is here, that is at Rome, to be their only basis and foundation since, according to the Savior's promise in Matthew 16, the gates of hell have never prevailed against her. So here you have more witnesses, Irenaeus writing in the late second century. Then you have Maximus Confessor saying the same thing. Finally, paragraph 835, and then I'll let you guys respond. Here's the Catholic response that is in this last paragraph. Here's the Catholic response to taking Catholic to simply mean everyone who believes in Jesus. Quoting, let us be very careful not to conceive of the universal church as the simple sum or the more or less anomalous federation of essentially different particular churches. Wow. I got to stop there for just a second. No more accurate description could be given really of Protestantism as it exists in the world now. Let us not be very careful not to conceive of the universal church as the simple sum, everyone who believes in Jesus, all those who are members of his spiritual body, or the more or less anomalous federation of essentially different particular churches. In the mind of the Lord, the church is universal by vocation and mission, everything that's been said so far. But under, you know, uh, admitting diversity, though, But when she puts down her roots in a variety of cultural, social, and human terrains, she takes on different external expressions and appearances in each part of the world. And that's beautifully said. The rich variety of ecclesiastical disciplines, liturgical rites, the rich variety of liturgical rites, and theological and spiritual heritages proper to the local churches, unified in a common effort, shows all the more resplendently the Catholicity of the undivided church. So we're talking about one church, one confession of faith, one sacramental life, one rule in under, I mean, in, in apostolic succession. But within that, this one church can take on a variety of expressions as it is, as it is uh, planted in every part of the world. I think that's very well said. Anyway, any, any comments? I just I really love that that piece about uh, put down roots in a variety of cultural, social, and human terrains. Uh, it just means so much because uh, there's there tends to be a homogenization sometimes in Protestant communities. But you know you you get you get the Irish and the Italians in the same church. You've done something. I think <laughs> I feel like you've done something. I I can't help but think of the joke about the Irish kid and the Italian kid getting picked up from school and the Italian kid saying to mom. You know, I wish you would stop hugging me in public, you know, and the Irish kid saying, mom, how come you never hug me in public? You know, like <laughs> there's this, the, but you, you know, you throw in like all the different, like beautiful, like in my parish, yeah, there's probably 30 different countries represented and there's nothing like it. And people wear, you know, things that look like they, 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 they have ties to wherever they came from and, and they bring them all to the same place to worship. And it really is a beautiful thing. Um, it really is the Catholicity of the Catholic church on full display in your local parish where you actually live. Um, it's powerful to me. And I guess my final thought guys is this, this theme and this reality that we've discovered today is one of sort of the final straws that broke the camel's back for me because by virtue of reading the history of ecclesiology in the writings of the most ancient sources, 
Pastor Kenny was dragged, as it were, through history with his ecclesiology and asked at every turn, are you sure Catholic means just everyone who believes in Jesus? And every voice from antiquity, beginning with the earliest until now, has the same answer, no. That's not all it means. As, you, as you've said, Ken, it's a particular church with particular hierarchy, with particular sacramental understanding, a particular doctrine, etc., etc., etc. And um, so I had to become Catholic. <laughs> you know, most of this is just us quoting from what the church has already kind of assembled on this question. Uh, speaking of what the church has assembled on this question, you, you quoted heavily from St. Vincent's uh, he called it a commonatory for the antiquity and universality of the Catholic faith against the profane novelties of all heresies. Is that right? Is that, did I get it right? Good, good. Because as I understand it, he originally was going to go with a shorter title and just call it What a Fool Believes, but uh, decided, not to, uh, decided not to go with that. We are glad you stuck with us this long on On the Journey with Matt and Ken and Kenny. Thank you so much for doing so. You can go back and watch previous episodes in the series. They're all available for free to watch at chnetwork.org. And the reason they're all free for you to watch is because of our gener generous partners in Mission, uh, who by their gifts to the Coming Home Network, make it to where we can continue to put these things out and you don't have to pay a nickel for them. So we hope they help you. And if you want personal help on your journey, We'd love to provide that as well. You can go to community.chnetwork.org. It's a great place to start. It's our online community, and it's full of awesome people. Ken, Kenny, thank you as always. Have a great day. See you soon.